Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. If you'd like to sign up for baptism, you could do that. There is a sign-up list in the foyer. Amen. I want you to think about something with me this morning, just real quick. If you had some sort of circumstance in your life that was impossible, health condition, financial condition, problem with a neighbor or a friend or a marital problem. I mean, it's an impossible situation. There is no resolution. None. It's hopeless. But then somebody came to you and said, there is a way. There is something you can do. And it will change everything. Would you be on board? Would you be willing and able to do whatever it took? For instance, your son or your daughter has been kidnapped. What would you do to get them back? Some go nothing. Thank God. One thing you can do to change everything. I'm here to tell you there's one thing you can do that changes everything. No, you didn't get it. I'm going to say it again. Read my lip. Everything. Say, what is it? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you free of charge. I'm not going to charge you. I'll charge Mike. (laughs) Mike's always got my back. You can worship. I knew it was hit just like that. I knew. I knew that it would go, oh. oh. I I thought it was going to be something important. I'm going to tell you, I want you to understand... Worship changes everything. Changes everything. He said, well, I've worshipped and it didn't change the circumstances. Well, it changed you. Worship will move mountains. Worship will heal bodies. Worship will call abundance in. Worship will change people. Sometimes you think, well, I just got to pray. I got to, you know, I got to fast. And I'm all for fasting and praying. Don't misunderstand. But sometimes, if you'll just worship. You say, well, I got to worship for the, no, no, no. Just worship him. Lift him higher. Lift his name in worship. Come into church and refuse to be a spectator. And say, I'm entering in. I don't care what people think. I don't care if they think I'm nuts or I'm crazy. I don't care. I have got something that's got to change. And I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to lift his name. I'm going to lift it up. He said, how do you know that? Because I can feel in myself sometimes this reluctance. Sometimes, I'll just be honest with you. You know, I'm an average guy. And sometimes I'm just like, okay. Man, I hope we get out of here quick. You know, I, I hope we beat the crowd to Chili's. Or, or to, you know, Calico's. Or, or we go to what, wherever. I know. And sometimes it's like, man, I just wish. I'm even on the sermon yet, so this is all free. Hang on. And I know what it's like just to phone it in. I know what it's like to just come in and go, okay, I'm gonna just, if I could just survive the day. 
But I also know what it's like when I get beyond that and say, God, I don't care how I feel. I'm going to worship you. I don't care what my circumstances are telling me. I don't care what's going on around me. And I don't even care how I feel in the moment. God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you, God. And there is something that always changes. Always. And I'm amazed at how simple a thing it really is. But how often we just don't enter in. So I encourage you, spend some time in worship and let God change your life. Can you say amen? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Joel, the book of Joel. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. Don't, don't go there yet. Wait. Leave that screen up. <laughs> Those guys on the back, they, they, they want to get, see, they're wanting to get to Chili's back there. So move me along. I'm going to resist that. I'm going to resist that. I believe this morning that our Heavenly Father is going to help many of you in this room tonight who are, or this morning, who are in desperate need of God to move. Have you ever been in that place where you just need God? I mean, I'm, I'm like saying, no, I'm not talking about the average, you know, it'd be good if God showed up. I'm talking about, I need him to move. Well, today's your day. Because I believe God is going to move. Now, what I'm going to do today in this sermon is I'm going to give you an overview and I'm going to give you some information. And my expectation in this sermon is that you take this info, that you take this revelation, you take this truth and that you begin to meditate on it. See, sometimes there's things that we need to physically do. We go do something. There's other times that what we need more than anything is to have our mind renewed. We need to have a new perspective. We need to have a new understanding. We need to allow the word of God to come in and penetrate and change us from the inside out. Can you say amen? amen. That's what this sermon is all about. And it's, a, it's, it's filled with great news today. Because one of the greatest promises... In the word of God is the promise of restoration. How many know this morning that our God is a God of restoration? God loves to restore. He loves to take something that was completely wasted and make it new again. Several years ago, and this is actually now reaching back quite a ways, but it's still a relevant illustration. Several years ago, Microsoft formally launched a revolutionary idea in one of its Windows operating systems for computers. And it was called the System Restore. And it was revolutionary at the time because imagine, if you will, being an average computer user, you really don't know a lot about computers, but you know that there's a lot of information. And if you get used to a computer, you're probably like us. You have pictures and you have, you know, uh, financial information. And, and if you're like me, you have tons and tons of sermons and all this stuff on your computer. But it's stuff that, that you're hanging on to. And if you're also like me, you don't really do a lot of backing up. You intend to. 
You think in your mind, you know what, I've got to back this up. And you think, well, I don't have time right now. I'll back it up tomorrow. And then tomorrow never gets there. And you think, oh, dear God, you know, I've got too much. I've got to back this up. But then something happens. You get what's called the blue screen of death. Oh, yeah. You ever gotten the blue screen of death? Basically, it's a blue screen with a watermark. You can't see it, but it's got the computer sticking its tongue out at you. <laughs> and what it's saying is all your stuff is in cyberspace somewhere forever gone. And you're thinking, how am I going to get this back? I was, you know, you're writing a letter to Aunt Josie or you're doing this or whatever you're doing. And it's gone. It's gone forever. And you're thinking, dear God, what do I do? Well, Microsoft and the brilliant people that work there, they came up with something called System Restore. And so now... All you have to do is just get back into safe mode. And what you do is you type in a, a date and a time that you want your computer restored to. And lo and behold, boom, right there, all your stuff is back. And it's like, why didn't they think of that years ago? Why didn't they system restore? It seems so obvious. I could just push a button and everything's back. Don't you wish you had that in life? Don't you have, have you ever said anything that you wish you could have gotten back? Have you ever done anything you could wish, I wish I wouldn't have done that? Amen. Have you ever gone somewhere where you thought, I wish I wouldn't have went there? I know that there's a lot of people here and this may only be hitting a few people, but I know that I've said stuff. I've said stuff from this pulpit and the moment I said it, I'm spiritually trying to grab the words. It's like, get back here, I didn't mean that. Sometimes trying to recover what you say is trying to, like trying to unring a bell. When the bell's rung, it's rung. You ain't getting it back. And it's in those moments that you wish, oh, I wish I had a do-over. I wish I could restore that. I, I wish I could do something different. It would be great to have a system restore for human life. Well, I can tell you we do. You didn't know that, but it's found in the Bible. And you can look over at Joel chapter 2. Starting in verse number 25, it says, So I will restore to you. The years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust. I love the fact that God has taken some time to describe what's going on here. It's not just been something lost. It was a swarm and they crawled and they consumed and they chewed. You ever have something chewed up in your life? This is what God's talking about. He says, my great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Amen. That's such a Amen. wonderful portion of scripture because he really is describing something here. He's, he's talking about a condition that the children of Israel had time and time and time again sold to themselves to the, the lowest bidder and, and they gave themselves away and thieves would come in to steal and they robbed and they pillaged and, and God comes along and says, you know what? I am going to restore the years. We're not talking days or weeks or months. We're talking years of their life that has been ripped off. How many have ever had something stolen? 
I, pray, I think we all have had something stolen at a time or two. I, I, you know, I know I have. And whether it's large or small, do you remember the frustration that that violation made you feel? Yes. I mean, think of it this way. You're, you're at work and you got your favorite pen and you decide, I need to go to the bathroom. So you set your pen down. You walk away, you go to the bathroom, you come back and somebody's ripped off your pen. It's like, all right, who did it? Who's got my pen? Or how about you take your lunch to work and you put it in the refrigerator and half your lunch is gone. And not the good half. Or, or I'm, I'm sorry, not the bad half. It's just the good half. And you're thinking, yeah, all right. I saved that and you ripped me off. Well, maybe it was something big. The sense of intrusion, the sense of outrage, the sense of anger that washes over you. And we think in our minds, if I ever find this person that took my stuff, I, it's going to be a bad day. I remember years ago, we had a storage unit. This was several years ago. We had a storage unit that got broken into and some valuable things were stolen, but mostly the things that had value only to us, you know, keepsakes and pictures and knickknacks and that kind of thing were stolen. And I remember the day it happened because I was at Jacob's Ladder and Kathy called me. She had gone, gone to take some stuff to the storage unit and um, uh, uh, she went in, went to the storage unit and the lock was cut off and she opened the door and half our stuff is gone. And as she called me, she was in tears. And I remember I had to, I had to still do Jacob's Ladder and I remember thinking in my mind, you know what, I'm going to find out who stole my stuff. Right. I, I, oh, no, I'm going to find out. I'm not turning him into the police. No, 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 no. I'm finding out who stole my stuff. And then I'm going to come up with a plan, and I'm going to go steal their stuff. And not only am I going to steal half of it, I'm going to rip them completely off. They're going to be standing on an empty lot in their underwear, wondering what happened to my stuff. I remember. I, I just, I remember that feeling. We've all been there, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Now, in my situation, fortunately, just about everything that was stolen could have been replaced. And I had to work through those feelings. But it was the inconvenience. It was the violation. It was like, it's not your stuff. You know, they stole, I remember one of the things they stole, they stole an old computer that had the blue screen of death. And they didn't have system restore. So it was basically junk. The only reason I put it in the storage unit is because I didn't want to go to the dump. And so it was sitting there. So they stole it. And I, I, it's not really that big a deal. But it was still mine. Right. How many know what I'm talking about? It was mine. And they ripped me off. But in time, it faded. And I got over it. I'm still dealing with it a little bit. I know it was 18 years ago. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still getting there. I'm working on it. Every now and then I go look. No, I don't. I don't really. <laughs> but in the spiritual realm this morning, there is a kind of stealing going on in many lives that's much more serious. See, Satan is in the business of ripping things off that are far more important than knickknacks. How many know what I'm talking about? That's his nature. Satan, the Bible tells us, is a thief and a liar. And it is his strategy to steal from you things that are incredibly important. 
Now, I'd like to tell you that he does it all at once, but he doesn't. He's very crafty. He reminds me of a story that I heard a long time ago. This is probably about 30 years ago. It was about a woman named Irma Cobb. It's a true story. It was in the Chicago paper. She lived in a suburb of Chicago, and Irma Cobb was just a little old lady that was non-assuming. She really did what well, she was not remarkable in any way. She was an average person, but she loved her home and she loved what she had. But one time, she decided that she was going to go on a trip. I I don't know if it was you know she was maybe she was in this silver sneakers group or the red hat ladies. I don't know, but they were going to go on a cruise, and they went away for two weeks. She comes back from her vacation. And it's remarkable because she's standing in front of what, where, what her house used to be. And all there is is a foundation. And she's standing there. The yard is completely clean. It's nice and neat. The house is gone. So she makes a phone call to the local police department. And she says, I need to report a theft. And they says, okay, what was stolen? She says, my house. They said, come again. She said, yes, my house has been stolen. So they sent a detective out to investigate. And sure enough, when the detective got there, he stood there, she stood there, and there was the foundation. No house. So the detective is like, well, we got to do some investigating. So they begin to canvass the neighborhood. And as they talked to the neighbors, they found out something. Because neighbor after neighbor told this story. Said, yeah, we remember when Irma went on vacation. But then something happened that night. A truck drove up and took out the window in the front, put it in the truck and drove away. And the next day, another truck drove up and, you know, those trellises she had that I really loved, they took those and drove away. And day after day, hour after hour, another truck would drive up and slowly but surely, piece by piece, her house was taken and stolen until it was completely gone. And when they asked them, they said, well, why did, they said, well, we just thought that was normal. We, we didn't know what Irma was up to. Wow. You mean you went, when they went in and you saw all the plumbing coming out, you thought that was normal. Well, it didn't make sense to us, but, you know, hey, people do strange things. When all the wiring came out and the doors and now you're just down to framing, you're like, hmm, something's up here. Yeah, well, we thought it was strange too, but who knows? Well, let me tell you something. That story is taking place in the hearts and minds and the lives of Christians every day. Because what the devil does is he'll drive up into the neighborhood of your life when you're least expecting it. Generally, when you have gone on spiritual vacation. That's a whole nother sermon. And you may get that one next week. And what happens is the devil drives up in his satanic pickup. He pulls out his demon toolbox and his little imps, and they begin to pry out your joy. And they take the joy, and it was just joy. It's just, it's just joy. And they put it in the back, back of his pickup and drives off. And everybody's looking around and going, yeah, you know, you kind of seem... Seems a little odd, but hey, whatever. And then he drives up the next day and he takes your peace. And the next day he takes your faith. Then he takes your purpose and your confidence and on and on until you are nothing but a foundation standing there and everything's been ripped off. 
And you're like, what's happened to me? I'm an empty shell. There's nothing left. What, what's going on in my life? Jesus said in John chapter 10, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan doesn't want your storage shed or your house. He doesn't need your car or your clothes or even your money. The devil is interested in stealing spiritual treasure, things that have value with God and are of eternal importance and significance. Satan loves to rob men and women of their potential. He wants to steal their purpose. He knows that if he could get your purpose or your potential, you will never do anything for him. He knows that we will waste great amounts of energy and time simply surviving with the loss of what's been ripped off. See, Satan will steal your hope because he knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Satan will steal your vision and your revelation and your understanding because he knows that where there is no vision, revelation, or understanding, the people perish. Literally, that, that phrase actually means they lived unrestrained and out of control lives. Satan will steal your joy because he knows the joy of the Lord is your strength. Satan will steal your faith because he knows that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He will steal your peace because he knows that chaos and confusion will wear out the soul of a man or a woman. Satan will steal your confidence because he knows victory does not rest in the heart of the insecure. He will steal your integrity because he knows that sin will drive a wedge between God and his children. He will steal your testimony because he knows your experience can make huge impact. Satan will steal your security because he knows that fear is filled with torment. He will steal your first love, your passion, because he knows that God will stand against the lukewarm. He will steal your health because he knows that prolonged sickness will work against your hope. He will steal your family, your marriage, your friends, your relationships, because he knows a man or a woman that it's isolated is easy prey. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But here is the good news. This is the good news. God will restore what has been stolen. God will restore what has been lost, and God will even restore what you have surrendered. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He'll give you purpose again. He will restore hope and vision and joy and faith. God will reestablish your peace and your confidence. He will repair your integrity and your testimony. He will renew your security and your passion. He will give you health and he will revive your marriage. He will return your family and he will cause your friends to come back and he will restore relationship. Why? Because our God is a God who restores. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
This is such good news, and this is what we really need to meditate on. We need one to guard against it, but if we find ourselves there, we need to put that into our heart and our mind and our spirit and say, you know what, God? You are the God that restored what was taken from Israel. Lord, even in the midst of their chaos, you were still true to who you are. You are a restorer, God, and you will restore what has been lost in my life. But there is even more good news. Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 31, that if a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. So what does that mean? That means that some of you are in for a great payday. Because listen, the thief has been caught. Church, when Jesus died on the cross and he, he went into the bowels of the earth and he got the keys to death, hell, and the grave, he made an open display of the devil. He took all power and authority from him and he caught the thief. And now the thief must repay sevenfold of what he has taken from you. It is the word of God. Can you say amen? The thief has been caught. So consider this. I want to take this a little bit further. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, it says this. This is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. But then go down to verse 7. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. This is the proclamation of our God who is a restorer. Can you say amen to that? Now, I want to give you a little bit of background on that portion of Scripture. Because this is the, this is the prophecy that Jesus spoke of himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And when he, he, when he took and put down the book, when he stopped reading, he said these words, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears. He says, I am the fulfillment of that word in your life. Now here's the background. Is this passage is really about the year of Jubilee that is described in Leviticus 25. See, the year of Jubilee was a year that every seven years the Jews were to observe what was called a sabbatical year. And they were allowed to, they, were, they wanted the land to rest. And after seven sabbaticals, or 49 years, they were to celebrate the 50th year as the year of Jubilee. And during that year, all debts were canceled. You got any debts you want canceled? All land was returned to its own original owners. The slaves were free and everybody was given a new and fresh beginning. And this was the way that the Lord balanced the economy and he kept the rich from, from exploiting the poor. And if you have trusted 
Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, then you right now are living in a spiritual year of Jubilee. You are living in the acceptable year of the Lord. Instead of ashes, God will give you beauty. Can you say amen? You've been given a crown on your head. You've been made royalty. You've been anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit, and you have been made righteous. See, I believe this morning this is the very heart of salvation, and it is the work of Christ in our lives. And I believe that Jesus went to the cross not only to forgive our sins, but so that we could be free from all the hidden wounds. I believe that Jesus' blood was shed so that the pain of our lives could be washed away. I believe his life was given so our broken hearts could be healed. I believe Jesus did what he did so that he could restore all that was lost. See, there's not a person. Let me, let me remind you of some things. There's not a person in this building today that has not experienced the pain of an emotional wound. See, we've all been taken advantage of misunderstood, manipulated, humiliated. We all know the pain of being ignored, left out, and rejected. We've all felt the sting of neglect and deception. For some, the memories of abuse and abandonment and betrayal are still all too real. There are those in this place this morning that you've endured the cutting words of an abusive father or mother You can still hear hear the words in your mind that cut like a knife. Words spoken in anger. Words that pierce your heart. Words that wound your soul. There are those today that have survived the attacks from an angry spouse. You know the pain of violence. You understand the fear rage can produce. There are those that carry with them the memories of childhood, rejection, and humiliation. You remember the painful years of school where you didn't fit in. You know the sting of being the butt of every joke. And there are those here that carry the weight of sorrow. You know about the waves of grief that without notice roll in and will knock you off your feet. You know about the permanence of death. You've lost a loved one, a friend, a mother, a father, son or daughter, husband or wife, and you know that nothing can bring them back. Oh, you know that one day there will be a great reunion, but you're living here today. And that reunion is off in the future. But what about today? You know the pain. There are those that have grown disappointed, disillusioned, defeated. They've got lost dreams, broken promises, unrealized goals, unmet needs, litter the landscape of your life. All of us have experienced the destruction caused by sin. It cost us more than we wanted to pay. It kept us longer than we wanted to stay, and it took us further than we wanted to go. And the list could go on and on with the hidden pain, the broken hearts, the damaged souls. And the reality is, is whether you are willing to admit it or not, there is a part of your life that is wounded. And for many in this room, the pain of your wounded heart is all that you know. But let me tell you something. There's good news for you. 
there's good news for you. And this is what I want you to meditate on. This is what I want you to put in your spirit. This is what I want forever in front of your eyes. Psalm 34, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues them who are crushed in spirit. The righteous face many troubles, but the Lord rescues them from each and every one. Each and every one. Not just a few, not just a select amount, but everyone. Psalms 147.3 says he heals the broken in heart and he binds up their wounds. Why? Because he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Let me, let me just share something with you. This word poor is not talking about without money. It's talking about a person in a condition where they have no ability to change anything about their life. They are absolutely destitute. And Jesus says, I've got good news for you. That's why Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Blessed are the poor, or the literal translation is lucky are the poor. You would never think somebody that is totally destitute, totally broken, totally unable would be lucky. But it's that person that the kingdom of God is poured out upon. It's then that the Savior of heaven and earth becomes larger than life and rushes in and will change everything in a moment of time. Blessed are the poor. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, to comfort all who mourn, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and instead of your shame, he will give you double honor. It's called the great exchange. It's what God set out to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? But it doesn't stop there. It gets even better than that. Because in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, it says, But he, meaning Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Look at that statement. He is able to save to the uttermost. Now, you got to consider this with me. Because the tenor of this scripture is not that he is able to do something, but that he is willing to do it. It is one thing to be able to do something. It is another matter altogether to be willing to do something. He is able to save to the uttermost. But listen, he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you remember several months ago, I preached a message about the Holy Spirit. and We talked about the Holy Spirit being an intercessor. And we took some time to define that word. And that word literally means to an intercessor is one who comes alongside. But he is also one who gets down into our trouble for the purpose of rescue. I told you that the intercessor is the original rescue swimmer. 
You remember the helicopter, the, the Coast Guard helicopter that is going to the shipwreck and there's someone that has come to trouble because of the sea and they are now in hurricane force winds. Waves are battering and beating them. Life is almost over. But the helicopter shows up and some very brave soul says, I will intercede. I will go down on the rope and I will get inside your trouble in order to rescue out of it. Jesus always lives to be our intercessor. He lives to get in our stuff to rescue us out. Can you say amen? He is a restorer. The word saved in this message or in this verse is the word sozo that means to heal, to preserve, to save, to make well, to make whole, to rescue, to restore, to keep safe, and to deliver. Let me tell you something. He's more than a savior. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one with his anointing. He has the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. He is the son of the living God who makes intercession for us before the throne. He is our redeemer, our restorer. He is the repairer of the breach. He is our advocate. He is the payment of our sin. He is the light of the world, the hope of our salvation. And the list could go on and on. But listen to this. All that he is represents all that he has done in our lives through salvation. You need to write that down. You can put that on Facebook. All that he is represents all that he has done for our lives. As we bring this to a close, I want you to think about this just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now all, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them or their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have been restored. We have been reconciled. We have been made righteous in the face of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. And the Bible says that is to the uttermost. There is no dearer truth in this world than God is our restorer. God said a long time ago, church, he said to the children of Israel, the years that the locusts have eaten, I'm going to give them back. I don't know what brokenness or pain or hurt or woundedness you have lived through or are living through. But I can tell you today that the restorer of the breach, the redeemer, the great I am, has made it all new again. As far as heaven is concerned, it is done. That's what you gotta understand. He did it before the foundation of the earth. He said, well, what must I do? Receive it. See, church, a lot of times what happens 
we get caught up in our understanding of Jesus is that he died on a cross and that through his death and resurrection, I now have forgiveness of sins. And that is absolutely true. But church, that's just picking the apple off the apple tree. He just de dealt with the symptom. He just got that out of the way so he could do the real work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He, look at, he restored us. What is, this, what is it that he restored? And this is what I want you to get. He restored the connection between us and God. He says, now you're able to have a relationship again. Now you can walk as a son, as a child. All that, that hurt, that wounding, all of that, it's gone by the wayside, it's done. I was talking with a friend of mine after the 8.30 service, we were in the office, we were talking about that. Because sometimes, I'll be honest with you, as a Christian, it doesn't feel restored. Sometimes I feel as broken as if I've always been. So what is the answer to that? Because there's nothing, there's no calisthenic, there is no formula, there is no incantation, as it were. There is nothing that I can do that can change that except have my mind renewed. To take this word, this truth, the fact that he is my restorer, he is my God, he is my rescue swimmer, he is in my situation hooking me up to the rope to meditate on that and to say I'm not alone and that he is pulling me out and that he's restoring that which has been broken and far as heaven is concerned it's done far as Jesus is concerned it's done it's now I have to receive it I have to I have to renew my mind to it I have to I have to put it in front of me every day sometimes many times a day I may have to confess it. I may have to look around and say to random people, did you know God's my restorer? You'll probably freak them out. They won't know what you're talking about. But it ain't for them. It's for you. It's for your ears. Did you know that God set me free? Did you know he's given me everything back? Everything that had any value. I got my joy back. I got my peace. I got my faith. I got my love, my passion. I've got it all back. It's all back. And... And he's making the one that stole it give me seven times more. I did not come. I, he, he, didn't, he didn't just balance the books. Uh, he favored me in the books. He, he says, you're going to really win. That's why we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Church, I've lived a long time as a Christian, and I've gone through a lot of battles. Trust me. Been there, done that, have the T-shirt. <laughs> wore it out and got a new one. But I'm tired. I, I'll, I'll, I'll go on record. I'm tired. But I am restored. And I'm going to walk in that revelation. I'm going to walk in the revelation that I'm joyful, that I'm peaceful, that I'm filled with faith, that I have grace, that I'm confident, I am secure. All that heaven has is for me. All that he did was God's provision for me. All that Jesus is, is what he did for me. Are you hearing me? Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word today. And we pray, Lord, that 
this revelation would rest upon our heart. Father, we pray that those areas of our life that we struggle in, we would apply this word to it, that we would receive. And I pray, Lord, for every family, every home, every man, every woman, every husband, every wife, every child in this place, Lord, that you would bless them. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon them. Father, that you would reveal yourself to them as the great restorer, that you will restore the years, not just the days, the weeks, the months, but the years that have seemingly been lost. And Father, that you will give it to us with interest. And Father, we're thankful for it today. And we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer team is coming. Our ministry team, they're going to come up. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you. Remember, if you're interested in a life group, like to lead a life group, not just be a part of one, but lead one, we're going to have a very short meeting in the multipurpose room immediately following this service. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.